recording live from a universe where Roman Harper is still an NFL football player. It's the Seahawks Nest Podcast. He's not an NFL football player. He's on the Saints defense. You, you lied. He is, he's right there backing up Kenny Vicario right on the depth chart. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you said NFL Yikes. player. That's the Saints defense. That's on the NFL team. The Kenny Vicario? Are you kidding me? This defense has like a lot of players you've heard of and none of, and none of them that you're like, oh, that guy's really good. They're, they're, it's a it's a defensive journeyman, which is the defense no one wants. Hey, there's there's a chance though. There's going to be some ex Seahawks that might be trying to get their revenge this weekend. We'll Daryl Tap action. Daryl Tap and Max Unger coming for you. Yeah, the Max Unger revenge game. <laughs> Welcome to the Seahawks Nest. I'm your host Eric Ronnebeck. With me is Kevin Garber, Nathan Sano. We will be previewing that awesome Saints Seahawk matchup. Do we have like seven away games in a row? Is this is this our schedule? Because don't we? I don't want to jump the gun too much, but I believe we're going to New England next week. We this just came from Arizona. Is your schedule? That's crazy. We got um, we just, got just give me the Saints next versus one. Bills. It goes back. Oh, uh, Bills! Bills. <laughs> I just I forgot about the Bills. Hey, did you know Imagine no one that. circles the wagon? Wait, sorry. <laughs> Laugh did you just have a Chris brothers. Berman stroke? Yeah, yeah, I had a Chris Berman stroke. I was possessed by him and. It was automatically a host. Input. <laughs> a host. Uh, that is a ghost dad joke that will never get old. Gentlemen, uh, first of all, Nathan, I want to thank you for coming in with the excitement, ignoring the lethargic 6 6 tie that we all watched. Doc, Jari Evans starts at guard for the team we're playing next week. Okay. I can't help but be excited about this. <laughs> uh, do you think, do you think maybe, uh, Jari Evans wants to be on this team on our offensive line? Maybe. You think it's possible? I mean, I don't think he would start on our team. I think that's the problem. Judging by the way that he was cut, yeah, yeah, yeah I know that's that'd be I think, nice. I don't think guard and center are areas of concern. You don't think, especially we could just... now that big, big bad George Fant started at left tackle. Yeah, you don't, you don't, you don't want to just put any offensive lineman at tackle for us and see how he does. I mean, it could. I think that's basically what we did. <sighs> yeah, more or less. So uh, let's go over this amazing, uh, scintillating game that we watched on Sunday night. It honestly, I don't know. It was a defensive battle. It had its moments that were kind of cool. I know it's wrong of me, but I actually really enjoyed this game. Yeah? Why? Yeah. What'd you like about it so much? I liked, first of all, I kept saying over and over again, if somehow Seattle loses, no one gets to freak out the defense, even though you're going to when they give yeah. them a touchdown, because we asked them to play a perfect game, and they have so far. Well, guess what? They never stopped. Honestly, Defense that's, played a perfect game. That's what, that's what perfection looks like. Well, I don't know if you guys know this, but Negan, the actor, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, uh, for Walking Dead, he loves the Seahawks, and I think he just took his bloody bat to... Does he really? To, yeah. Wow. Yeah, big like Seahawks a huge fan. fan. Good. So, that makes me so happy. Did a whole of, interview about it, actually. He kind of wow. cursed us a little bit, I think. <laughs> could, uh, could I put a jinx on it? That's... He's like, hey, it's the same night. We're just going to destroy all of our hopes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Uh, I will, I will say this about the game. <laughs> in the, in the waning moments of the fourth quarter, the refs called offensive holding against the Seahawks like twice. Yep. And I was like, what are you doing? Are you trying to make this game go on forever? Like, knock it off. Just let us go. Cause the refs were obviously interested in this tie cause they wanted to be tortured. This was, this was completely preventable. Uh, if you go back and look at the way our offensive line was playing, they were holding. Oh yeah, they, oh, they were holding on every play. <laughs> I, I, I'm not saying that. Another thing too is that uh, our our offensive line might they might look at that and go, oh, we didn't give up any sacks, you know. But Russell Wilson was pressured on forty percent of his dropbacks. Yeah, um, he was getting rid of the ball faster than ever. Two, yeah, two point two six seconds. seconds or That's yeah. crazy. Wow. So he, I mean. If the reason we didn't get any sacks this game is because Russell Wilson was in hit at his uh, efficiency finest in terms of getting rid of the ball. The problem is it didn't give anyone any time to get open. I mean, guys were all over the field just unable to get open to get separation. The only guy getting consistent separation seemed like it was Jimmy Graham, who had another amazing game. Yeah. Um, where do you guys fall on that that final play to Jimmy Graham where he stopped running? And uh, the ball was overthrown uh, to the end zone. That just overtime. looked like a clear miscommunication. It they looks, did not think they were doing the same thing. It looked like he, he wanted to post up the his guy, and Russell threw to the outside. Well, he had a he had like a third grader guarding him, and I feel like Jimmy just wanted to post that guy up, and like you said, a miscommunication. Well, he was absolutely getting like body blocked the entire way down the field. But yeah, 
you know, when you're six, seven, that's going to happen to you and no one's going to call it. So what did you guys think about your actions during the game? Your, the things you did to Bradley's soul, both of you. What the, don't. This is, no, we're, we're addressing he this on the podcast. He had a terrible, no good, very bad day. Like he, he did and it got it worse. Just, just it like got that. worse. Like I don't, I don't want to, I'm not taking responsibility for that. That's, to be honest, I, I thought the, one of the, Moments of the game I found most interesting was when Bradley Solo, like, you could tell he was really torn up about how he got hurt, you know, and he really gave a crap about, you know, being I thought he's gone for the year because people don't cry over, like, a two-week injury. I think, like, this is his opportunity to, he's not going to get a starting left tackle job anywhere else in the NFL. This is his shot. And so I think it really tore him up. And um, I, I like that. I mean, Bradley Solo has obvious deficiencies. He can't defend against, Speed pass rushers or elite pass rushers of any kind. Uh, Clay's Campbell was taking the art, every offensive lineman, Jermaine Fetty too. Every offensive lineman who lined up against him, he was taking their lunch money. Like he just, and Chandler Jones looked awesome in this game. These are problems. These are problems that we're going to have against any team with elite pass rushing forces like that. And, um, Bradley Soul did his best. And I mean, he's the best tackle on this team. It's not, that's a low bar to cross. You know, if you limbo below that bar, that's, uh, that's, you're going very low. But, uh. You do not believe in the power of George Fant. Uh, I mean, I believe he has power. He's huge. Yeah. He's roughly the size of a Budweiser truck. Yeah. Yeah. He's a big man. That, the, that's not the problem. The problem is going to be, I mean, if Bradley Solo is a rotation tackle on your team or he's, you know, starting at right tackle for you, you probably have an b- average to above average offensive line or if you said if we had an amazing offensive line and bradley soul was on it yeah i mean he might play really good on a good offensive line like if we tra- if we go out this week or next week and we trade for a left tackle that you know one of the joes as everyone w- likes to say on twitter you know trade for a joe joe staley or uh joe thomas you know but do you want to talk about that you heard the rumor right which which is they're saying joe thomas is available for a second round pick i mean if that's do true, you do that i would do that true, they all they should do that immediately it would immediately make our offensive line 100 times better. And then when Sol comes back, he could bump Gilliam right out of there because I don't think Gilliam's doing anything special on the right side. And I think it might hide some of his deficiencies being on the side that Russell Wilson gets to look at. Joe Thomas is Cleveland. Yep. Now this is Hugh Jackson. I'm sorry, Hugh Jackson. He said, uh, we are not trading Joe Thomas. Who who do we believe? Who? It's the NFL. Yeah, no kidding. Well, and I think like has Paul, it been five minutes since that was said? Because that information is now outdated. Paul Paul De Podesta is a saber guy. I mean, he's going to do what he feels like fits his chart the best, right? You know, he's yeah. going to. So if he feels like okay, we're not going to be able to keep Joe Thomas past this contract, and they're we, going on sixteen anyway, we're going on sixteen, we're not going to get anything out of him. He's thirty three years old. He's probably not part of our future. We're not going to be that good next year anyway. Let's get a second and a third, or a second and a second, or a, you know what I mean, something like that, or a second and a young player. Can't we pull like a, a New England Patriots trade where we give up a, an eighth round pick and we get a player and a seventh round pick? Did you hear about that today? I mean, that's what they do. That's why the hoodie's the best. That's, I mean, not everyone does, can be Does he just hoodie. propose the trade and they're like, no, and he's like, come on. Come on. <laughs> come on. I will say this. I mean, after watching last game, that's why you spend a first rounder on, or a second rounder on a kicker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but just not, not a Gallo. That's not the, a Guayo. That's not the, probably the wrong one, but you know, you got to spend a high draft pick on there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we won't go there. Did I throw you off on that with that? With yeah, that a little, comment? a little bit, honestly, <laughs> honestly. Uh, I, I really don't have anything bad to say about Steven Hauschka. I thought, uh, it was just uh, a bad moment. He likes to go by Steve. Oh, really? And yeah. Did you hear about John Ryan too? No. John now will go by J-O-H-N in support of Steve Hauschka. Yeah, because apparently his name is Steven with a P-H, and it's been oh. spelled with a V since he was in college because of like a typo that just kind of stuck. So he's going with J-O-N, the dumbest of all Johns. No, he has J-O-N. He's yeah, going John with Ryan is actually J-O-N. Oh, wow. He's throwing the H in there in support of Steve Hauschka. That's, that's a good special teams unit right there. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, if Steven Hauschka and... Though you can you can Google Stephen. it. Stephen Hauschka and Marshawn Lynch were roommates, yeah, and like really good friends. And I think maybe he needed. We need Sean as just like a uh, a Stephen Hauschka hype man. I want him to just come back and be on the sidelines and hit him in the helmet before kicks and stuff, <laughs> so that he can pump him up. Because that's the only explanation for what happened. The hold was good, the snap was good, and he kicked it like forty five yards left of the, the snap. Didn't even hit the the net. snap was a little high. It you know the best the net. No, no, you that, know the best part about this. It was. Pete Carroll's reaction. He was asked in the press conference. They go, 
what's your reaction? You know, uh, what do you feel like you need to do about him missing the field goal at Arizona? He struggled here. And Pete's reaction was, well, we don't play here again this season, so we're not really worried about that right now. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the most Belichick yeah. answer you'll ever get Absolutely. from Pete Carroll. It was amazing. It was, it was basically on to New Orleans. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> that is, that's a really dumb question. Are you concerned about your kicker struggling in Arizona's home field? Yeah, they could have, um, they could worry about it next year. <laughs> Cut that question in half right there. Well, I mean, the next year, and I, I think this does bring up an interesting question. Okay. So let's talk about this. Steven Hauschka is a free agent after this year. He's one of the highest paid kickers in the league. It's doubtful he would take a huge pay cut. I mean, the veteran salary structure means he's going to have to get paid quite quite a bit. It'll put him in the top half of the kickers just from his what we have to put, pay him, just the minimum or whatever. So do you – because a lot of the kickers are rookie contracts and stuff. So should we draft a new kicker or do you guys want – would you guys like to see us resend Hauschka for a decent amount of money? It's a chunk of change. It's like three, three to four million dollars probably to get him back. I'm not going to advocate for getting rid of Hauschka at any point. I think a reliable kicker is an asset. But that being said, kickers are a fungible resource. It's like we talked about in the bye week. That's something you can go out and find someone who will perform at a similar level for much less. So I guess what's the and that I'm getting with this other kicker? Yeah, there's only, and what's the value of that? There's only like three guys I feel like in the NFL that I feel like these are three guys that I think are worth. The money, right? New England's current kicker, New England's former kicker. (laughs) You're right. It's Vinatieri, Guskowski, and Tucker. Those are the three that I think, like, these guys are worth whatever they're being paid because they're all really awesome. And even Guskowski's been kind of sketchy this year. But the thing that's funny about Guskowski goes, he's in an interview said, I suck this year. (laughs) I've been bad and I know I've been bad. I'm just, I'm going to fix it. Don't worry. Uh, Josh Brown available. Ex Seahawks. All right. That's just, uh, I'm just glad he got cut because screw that guy. Before, before the domestic assault, uh, screw that guy. Um, so yeah, I just think that there, there's a chance that well, this might be Hauschka's last season in a Seahawk uniform. You know, if he will take the pay cut, which again, like with the pay cut, like what is it? Two, it put him right in the middle of the pack. Like it put him in the middle of the pack in terms of kicker salary. I think he might do it just because he does like the team and right if now he's I willing to do that. Right I now I think do he's it. like third. Or, yeah. And I don't, it's something like that. It's top five. I don't know. Is there any team that's so desperate to, to you know, no, no one poach our kicker? kickers anymore? That's the problem. Is that Carolina's been in a puncher? Maybe we could dupe them into that. <laughs> mediocre veteran, mediocre veteran kickers can't get jobs anymore, even though they're probably better than the low end rookies because of the salary structure. You can just pay a rookie like nothing, and then you can pay like four hundred thousand, and you have to pay the the veteran kicker like over a million. You know, it's like over double the salary, so you can save money by just you know, having a young kicker. So guys, so teams are doing stuff like that to just save, pinch those pennies, man, because it adds up and then you end up with having like an extra good player. Yeah. You know, if you pinch Coming back pennies. to the game though, uh, talk about the offense. Am I the only person who's starting to worry about Tyler Lockett? He looks visibly slower. And I hate to say that. I love Tyler Lockett. I, I am worried. But I think he's just banged up. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm worried that the Lockett and Wilson both are more injured than we originally thought. They're more not ready to be playing on the field then they maybe it'd be nice if we had two buys this season you know like that (laughs) yeah well to answer your question kevin i yeah tyler lockett does not have his his explosiveness his his quickness off the line and he also doesn't have that that gain speed where the you know the, the more he runs the faster he gets and that's why you have tyler lockett he's not jumping up for pass to catch balls uh that's alarming i was i kind of posed this before the podcast to mention it here and nate just said it did Russell Wilson tear a ligament in his knee and he's just being Russell Wilson about it? Because he has a sprained MCL, which is the ligament on the outside of your knee. And that man, a month later, is still wearing a knee brace. Uh, he read the read option incorrectly, but when he took off to run, the he looked like time, me. The one time he ran. The one that, time. Yeah. And, and I wonder, because you said like he made the wrong read, and that was the thing about Wilson and the read option, is that he hardly ever makes the wrong read. And it makes me wonder if he's like, you know what? This is the wrong read, but I can't run it anyway. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna hand it off. Like our like it offense, was a fake. our offense is almost dependent on the read option because of how bad our tackle play is. So our tackle play is not good enough to. But the read option hides that deficiency because Soul all he has to do on a read option play is get to the second level and blow a guy up, right? So like if we run the read option, you know that defensive end is kind of taken out of the play, but he's not being taken out of the play because there's no threat Russell's going to run. Yeah. The, the threat is gone. And so I think we either need to remove the read option from our playbook entirely or something. Because if we're, if Russell's actually not going to run, it's not a good play. Because the whole point of it is that he, he the threat needs to be there. 
Yeah, well, and guys like Kevin Hogan are running it successfully. Like, you know, it's something's wrong with Russell if he can't do it. You know, the other thing with that is this is a soft tissue injury, and those get re-aggravated easily and take a long time. Uh, so maybe both he's Pete Carroll, well, both Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson just mentioned this is the first game where after the game he hasn't felt noticeable extra pain in his knee. Okay, that's so a, he might just be starting to recover. If he's telling the truth, that's that's an awesome sign. And I just wonder, like, we're talking about injuries and stuff. What's going on with Paul Richardson? I felt like at the beginning of the year, he looked pretty good, and now I just, he's never on the field. We he's, get, like, we get heavier doses of, like, Tanner McAvoy than we do of Paul Richardson. He I caught think. a couple balls this week, though, and I thought he looked all right. He's just kind of running that those inside routes. I think part of it has to do with the type of offense. Richardson's the kind of guy who takes the top off of a defense. We aren't developing long enough plays. Like you said, 2.26 seconds. You know, Richardson's fast, but he can't get down the field in 2.26 seconds. It's not that fast, yeah. You know, uh, I honestly I mean, don't even think he had a catch this last week. He had a oh, he, one a couple uh, two weeks ago. Paul Richardson had one catch for 10 yards in this game. Okay. Wow. A guy who uh, looked like him had the second he catch. He was targeted <laughs> twice, and he played, this is the part that weirds me out, he played uh, 16% of snaps, which is nothing. It's less usage than... Uh, everyone basically. Tanner McAvoy got six percent. So I mean, I don't understand what formation we're running where we'd rather have Tanner McAvoy than. I guess it's maybe because no one notices Tanner McAvoy, and then he gets big plays. <laughs> All like, he does is make big plays. He's Tanner stealth, McAvoy, he's stealth guy. We're trying to bring back Brian Walters, and we just can't get him, so we're doing it with Tanner McAvoy. <laughs> McAvoy is really big, and if you're trying to basically use the body of the receiver to shield for a quick pass, he's a solid guy to use. Or Basically, what you guys are saying, if you want a Trojan horse in a wide receiver that looks like a tight end, yeah, and line them up close to the line of scrimmage because he's huge. That's kind of been something that's happened a couple times. If they're not paying attention, they could maybe think he's Jimmy Graham. Is that what you're saying? Well, I'm thinking they think he's Luke Wilson. So they'll cover him because he'll drop it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I don't know what's going on with our receivers outside of the fact, like you said, we can't we can't develop plays. Having said that, Russell Wilson, 2.6 seconds releasing the ball. 2.26. Goodness gracious. Two and a quarter. Is there, I mean, we had a really bad offensive day. Uh, the defense for, uh, for Arizona is good. Russell Wilson could not hold on to the ball very long. What do you think about the, the run splits there, Kevin? You mean the four carries that we gave Christian Michael in the first half? Yeah. That I was in, I was so mad. I still can't talk straight about that. Why on earth, Kristen Michael only got four carries? This is why we set a record for the longest a defense has ever been on the field. Did we really in a modern NFL game? Uh, I have not heard something to counter that. That stat came out, and so the defense was on the field forever because there were no sustained drives, zero runs in the first two drives. Four runs in the first half. Krista Michael had a fine game, 3.3 yards per carry. Long was 10. A lot of kind of plugging and chugging. He got up to 16 carries, including the overtime, but the run was abandoned for the first half of the game, and that is baffling. It's to, it's. I think it just goes back to what, I was, what we were talking about earlier. It's just that with Russell Wilson hurt, uh, we it. It's not that he's hurt so bad he can't throw because his throwing is actually pretty decent. You know, his his throwing DVOA is is tenth, and he's like he's playing pretty good. The problem is that there's no threat he's going to run. No one's scared of him running anymore. It used to be like guys would spy Russell, and that the read option was always on the back of players' minds and stuff. That's just not there, and it it tilts our offense in such a way that I feel like they just they just give up on everything, you know, and it just turns into like short pass bonanza. Like we're just like, oh, let's just throw like a thousand short passes in a row, because because Bevel would say, well, a short pass is the same as a run, you know, and it's like, well, okay, but why are we abandoning everything we normally do just to throw like a million short passes? And I don't know, I'm just it bothers me the, the way the offense is running just kind of bothers me. And the Seahawks <clears throat> offense has never had to try to be good with a, with a hobbled Russell Wilson. It's just never happened, and we're seeing that it's probably not possible unless we, you know pick up some new talent or like something, you know, there's something has to change because the offense right now is among the worst in the league. Then how did they score over 20 points against Atlanta? Atlanta's defense is not that good. 
And their pass rush is bad, which they have like one, they have like one or two good players on the whole defense. They also ran the ball regularly, which helped. I mean, you have to run to set up the pass. Well, look at how we started the second half. There was, there were, I think the second time we got the ball, there were two runs in a row, and it was like, all right, now we're putting it together, and we put it together a little more in the second half, but it still wasn't consistent. And I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to score if we score more than twenty points this week either, because. You know, Atlanta's defense is 26th and New Orleans is 29th. Yep. So, I mean, it's not like, yeah, maybe we'll score a bunch of points this week, but I don't think that that's a sign our offense has turned the corner. I would agree. In any, in any way. I mean, if, if we don't score on New Orleans, there's a huge problem. Okay. And it's, it's like we need to do something now. Things need to be shaken up. Things need to change because New Orleans is really, really bad on defense. Should we switch to the defense before we start getting the preview? Absolutely. Okay. So, all the, the stuff that defense. I said that I didn't like about the offense, reverse it, and I'm talking about the defense. Uh, you know, Averill built two and a half houses. Uh, Clark had a sack and a half. Averill had six QB hits. Um, Bobby Wagner yeah. had 13 tackles. Yeah, that was, KJ my, that had was 10. my stat, is that the linebackers were awesome in this game. Yeah, were, I, oh. I was very impressed with how and well... And Shed was like a mini linebacker. And K- KJ... Or KJ I mean, he was closing out plays like he does. Like when he's playing really good, he just he finishes the play, and that's what I like is that the, about when our Seahawks defense is really humming, the, they finish the play. And the, the the big thing in this game was that you know you'd like to see us be able to create some turnovers. If we could have created any turnovers, we would have probably won the game. But no one turned the ball over, and that is one thing I positive I have to say about the offense before we fully move on from offense is the offense didn't tr- doesn't turn the ball over no which there's one fumbled snap that was yeah, it we we do a good job taking care of the ball and it is saving us from being completely deficient like the, the really the difference between our offense and the truly horrible offenses in the league is that the truly horrible ones turn the ball over like crazy amount in addition to not being able to move the ball yeah, watch least, houston we at least play can play field position because we're not giving up Although we did let them into our half of the field quite a few times, <laughs> but we did a good job pushing them back out and taking advantage of mistakes that they made and all that stuff. So I, I thought the defense put in a Herculean effort. Like it was, the, it was as good as it could possibly be. And do you like how people keep misreporting Bobby Wagner's blocks? Like yeah, the, the, the head of the, officiating had to point out the fact that that was not a penalty. They, they're like, they're, he's like, dude, the rule says you have to land on the guy, like. Just, just land on it. I, I wondered if they had the rule wrong because how Michaels kept saying, well, let's see if he touches the player as he goes over. Once the ball is snapped, you can touch a player. You just can't kick you a can't player. can't jump on them and land on them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but it, Bobby would put his hands on the opposing guards, and they were like, well, that's he, a penalty. The, the first yeah. one, he didn't touch anyone. He just dragged his foot on the his long foot, snapper's back. His foot just hit a little. the long snapper's back, but that's fine. The problem, the, the 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 risk in doing that play is that if you time it poorly, you're going to get a penalty. Yeah, and so that's why they didn't do it the second field goal because they if they got the penalty, they would have given a first down. So, I mean, it was all calculated risks by the special teams team because that is a risky tr- thing to try to do. And that's tape too. That's yep, them watching the tape. tape. They don't. I mean, we haven't been doing that all season, yeah. so it's something we saw on tape. By and the way Cam they did it to them last year, Carolina. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, but it's it's again watching tape. Uh, let's. I just have to do it because he's he's the best again. Can we talk about Earl Thomas? I'm always saving. Talk about some Earl Thomas. Saving that touchdown, saving the game. Really, he saved the tie. I, I'm pretty sure he scored this. <laughs> I just think that it was weird. That was a weird play, and I think they. I mean, I don't know why the Cardinals it's, rushed it's as Arizona's as much their fault as anyone else's because they went straight up to the line and ran another play. Yeah. They didn't yeah. give them any time to think about it. And I, I was like really unsure. I mean, Earl made it questionable, which is yeah. all you can ask in that situation because he was way out of the play. You know, he's, he's super out of the play. His recovery time is just amazing. Yeah. And, and Earl's, Earl's recovery speed is off the charts. You I can just t- really wish we had Cam in this game. I really feel like if we had Cam in this game, you see some turnovers. Turnovers happen. Cam Chancellor, like, m- makes. So he makes us a different football team. David Johnson getting hit by Cam Chancellor would have meant a lot more than what happened. Yeah, though Earl's baptized people a couple of times man, recently. Earl, he oh, looks man, like he's having fun, hits. too. I mean, this this is as good as the defense can play without Cam Chancellor. That was an amazing performance. Yeah, and you notice that Sherman didn't follow. And nope, we played our regular. Yeah, he did not follow Larry Fitzgerald around. And McCray looked a lot better, a lot more comfortable. Yeah. 
He there were one or two misplays, but he made the recovery tackle on Nelson on that last play, and that was in a zone, and he was really playing his role there when he made the catch. So I feel like McRae played a really solid game. Yeah, Shed and McRae both played above what I thought they would play. Shed had nine tackles. Would he really have that many? Yeah. <laughs> I just thought he was in coverage pretty well. He was all over the field. Yeah, Lane had seven tackles. Like they McCray had six. They those those three guys were were just they were playing their positions really well and they were and they were doing what the Seahawks always do, which is that they they finish plays and swarm to the ball. And they, I love when the Seahawks play like this, where they the the first guy gets to the guy and he holds him. You know, he's not like the guy doesn't break that tackle and then then there's two more guys coming into the play that finish the play like this happens all the time when the seahawks are defensively at their best this is what they do they just swarm everywhere yeah what if seattle could tell the other team's offense what they wanted them to do what would it be we want you to dink and dunk down the field yeah and what did arizona do all day Dink and dunk. And this is the against the best tackling defense in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, and at the end of the day, you put them in these third and medium, third and long, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, we're, we're at third and six, and we're playing against this awesome defense. And then you go 10 for 21 on third downs like Arizona did. You know, you just can't finish the drive because you don't want to be in third and medium against a defense that's as good as this one. Yeah, against a Cliff Averill that's trying to put on his Bob the Builder mask for Halloween. Absolutely. Uh, also, Richard Sherman gave up one really big play where he slipped on that stupid field in Arizona. Because why don't you have field? They grow pressure? the grass outside. Yeah, and it, <laughs> and it's brown. Imagine that. It's uh, that was frustrating, but I I didn't blame Richard Sherman for that at all. Yeah, you know, that's gonna happen. It is what I got, I got my thing of the game though. Is that Tyler Lockett stop bringing kick returns out of the end zone? I love you. You're great. But the, they, you're like nine yards deep. You're just conceding nine yards before the run even starts. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's like, true. Uh, yeah, you got a 25 yard kick return, which in the old days was really awesome. But now that puts you at the 16, or you know, it's not what it used to be. Or if they're cratering the kick, try to let it bounce through the back of the end zone. Try that one out on for size, because there's, you know, there's. I've noticed that lately is that some teams are trying to like pop it up to the one. You know, just. You know what? That ball's going to bounce out through the back. Just let that one go. It's hard to to put backspin on a ball going that far. Yeah. So yeah, it's not going to bounce out to the five. I mean, I'm pretty sure if you could punt on a kickoff, every NFL coach right now would be punting and trying to cough in corner. Oh yeah. To start or like put you know put a really high punt that goes to the one. But it's really hard to kick a ball off the ground that high and accurately and not just have it bounce through the back of the end zone. Just let it bounce through the back of the end zone. Make sure that you know you cover the kick so that they don't get to recover it. But that's it. That's the job of a kick returner now. It's just the way it is. You have to you have to accept that. And you know what? Make your money on the punt returns because you rule at those. <laughs> Almost the one punt return he had in this game, he basically got murdered. Yeah. Oh man, hey, he got he, up, man. That, that was... took a really good tackle too because he had a head of steam, and you're you were really hopeful there for a second. But that was really good kick yeah, coverage. He he was he got up. I was pretty excited about that because he got laid out. It seemed like anything else, Kevin? Before we move on to the Saints preview, uh, the just the. Arizona played directly into what this defense does well, and this defense did what they do well. I mean, I'm still excited about the defense, and the offense is a big question. All right, here's my big thing. Michael Bennett played 85% of snaps, which is a lot. When we first got Michael Bennett, he only played like 60, and it was kind of thing. And he's still effective, even with that many sacks, still affecting plays, still getting hurries, still making drawing double teams. So I, I was... I was always curious, how will Michael Bennett do when his role needs to expand? When he gets more money and we can't just rotate him with five other guys that are good. And I'm happy to say that at this point, I can say without with full confidence that Black Santa is amazing. Doesn't matter the snaps. I was unsure. Like, I had a legitimate doubt. Same with Cliff Averill. I thought Cliff Averill with an expanded role might be bad. And he's we actually talked about this really last good. year. Cliff Averill still really good, even getting 80% of the snaps. Yep. That's All right, it. gentlemen. The Saints are coming to... Their home <laughs> turf up in New Orleans, and we are going to visit them there. That was certainly a sentence. You like that? You like that save? It was. A, it wasn't a good one. I'll but. give. Uh, I'll give the big dumb stats, and then they can give the rundown of the the okay. less dumb stats. So the Saints are averaging 339 yards per game because Drew Brees has a bionic arm. I was going to say they're not running the football, so that's three hundred and twenty yards passing. Three hundred thirty nine passing. Oh, okay, and eighty two rushing. Uh, they're giving up 287 passing and 116 rushing, which, if you do the math on that, that's pretty much a wash. Wow. So they're giving as well as they're taking, 
which is how you end up with a top five offense and a bottom five defense. Um, let's see. Uh, Brandon Cooks and Thomas and Sneed are all averaging over 70 uh, yards receiving per game, but no one's breaking 100. They've only given up... Their offensive line has been really solid. They've only given up nine sacks. Um, they've thrown five interceptions, uh, but they only have nine sacks, and they've only grabbed two interceptions. I was going to say... Was so they s- don't get a lot of big plays on defense. They don't get very many turnovers. They're not like bend but don't break. They're more like bend, break, and then put the offense back on the field. Are the are the sacks coming in bunches in a couple games, or are they just kind of giving them one a game-ish? They've gotten a couple on some bad games from the other team, but mostly it's just been here and there. Okay. And Nathan, can you, uh, if it's not too much trouble, can you look up who the Saints have played this year? I know they uh, just got uh, Oakland, New York, Atlanta, Kansas Diego, City, Carolina, and Kansas City. Actually, their schedule is very tough so far. Yes. They've played six good football teams. They're going to add a seventh one this week. The problem with, with New Orleans is that they turn the ball over a lot. Like they turn the ball over two times a week and it, if a lot of fumbles. If you're gonna spread the, if you're gonna try to spread everyone out and play a really one-dimensional football game, it doesn't matter if you have three good red receivers. If you're gonna turn the ball over a couple times every game and give the other team good field position, especially when your defense is as bad as New Orleans is, that's a that's a problem. Historically bad. You want to run with those DVOAs? Uh, their DVOA right now, uh, their defensive DVOA is their 29th. They are. 28th against the pass and 28th against the run. So they're consistently bad. They're bad against everything. (laughs) They're just not, they're not, they're, they're not even like, uh, you know, like the Jets, where the Jets are like super horrible against the pass, but they're amazing against the run. So you just are like, okay, well, I guess we're just going to pass on you all day. They're not like that. They're just like bad against everything. So you just, you can do whatever you want against them. And I'd expect to see the Seahawks do that against the New Orleans Saints. They'd be able to do whatever they want. Um, yeah. But their offense is good. I mean, they're fourth in passing, and 14th in running is decent. It's fine, but it's mostly just like Mark Ingram getting easy runs from, you know, draw plays and stuff like that because they're just everyone's suckering out to beat Drew Brees, who is second in the league in DVOA, uh, or fourth in DVOA, second in yards of, you know, the of their DYAR stat, the, ca- the counting stat, not mm-hmm. the not the average one. Um, I like Drew Brees. I think he's awesome, and it's totally a waste that they didn't trade him this offseason because this team was never going to be good. Well, and it's, I don't know, every year I think Drew Brees is going to take a step back, and eventually that will happen. Not this year. If anything, nope. he looks a little With better. With an easier schedule, New Orleans could be like 500. They're not going to be because their schedule is not easy. Well, we did our picks. That's I looked at the schedule and I was like, ugh. Yeah, they got a harsh schedule for a team that didn't do that. Even well. if it's not great teams, it's it's solid defenses. What are the concerns for us in this game? Covering Colby Fleener. Yeah, covering just covering their 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 because the thing is they have a lot of different guys that can attack you in the pass game. It's not like one guy hurts you or two guys hurt you. So they, the Seahawks have to stay really disciplined in this game. Luckily, yeah. I think after last after two weeks ago, I think the Seahawks realized what we realized, and that's that they're at their best when they just play their base defense and so you'll see a lot of base defense against this team and guys lining up and it's going to be you know can we stop kobe fleener from finding the soft spots in the middle like kevin said yeah i also want to see lane on the outside in this game thomas and cooks are both really fast that's their main asset sneed is a little bit bigger i like the matchup better if it's shed on sneed than shed on a really fast receiver we've seen that that's the one deficiency in Shed's game is he just doesn't have a ton of recovery speed. So that means he need a lot of help over the top from Earl Thomas if he gets stuck outside on Cooks or Tom, or uh, Michael Thomas. We won't know if we have Cam until the game starts on Sunday or, or you know the day before. Are you, are you worried about our pass rush in this game? We've had great pass rush all year, but they're not giving up a lot of sacks. Is it is this the Max Unger revenge game? The right side of their line is flawed. Yeah, I and think that you're going to see Michael Bennett and or Cliff Averill. You're going to see that Bennett Averill two two guys on the right thing that they do, and that's 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 terrifying for this yeah. team. Max Unger's going to have to cheat to the right side every time, which opens up the other side of the line. It's it's going to get it could get really. They're probably going to put Clark on that left side, so then you have like Clark singled Ruben. up every play. He's going to be singled up mm-hmm. on every play. I was going to say and you might have Clark back into coverage and someone like Marsh coming in. You saw a type of Ruben fall into the zone yes. Yes. and make a tackle play. on a on a tight end. Cassius Marsh didn't play much last week and no. I, I'm wondering if that they're going to try to 
you know, if he's more of a backup than we maybe realized. Like he's, you know, he's not in the full on rotation when we're trying to, when we need to have every play, if he's not going to be in on defense as much. Hmm. It's an interesting thought. I don't know. He it's hard plays to say. like twenty percent of snaps. I also wonder if KPL is going to be healthy because he was out for the last game too, and, and he, I don't know what his ailment when was. We put three linebackers on the field. I like it when the third one is Kevin Pierre Lewis a lot. Yeah, his speed is a factor in coverage, especially against a team like New Orleans. I mean, we basically played like Arizona did last week, where we had a safety playing third linebacker the whole game, and we did what we always do: ten guys within five yards of the line of scrimmage, disguising what, exactly what we're doing. Earl Thomas covering the whole top end, making sure that the top doesn't get blown off of the play. I, I mean, it's it was classic. Seahawks last Seahawks defense last week. Yeah, great and I, center fielder. And it's going to be more of that this <laughs> week, I think. I think where we can make our hay is that New Orleans is seventh in DVOA against wide receiver ones and 26 or worse everywhere else. So they're also la- last or second to last in the league at covering tight ends. Okay. So Jimmy Graham should have a big day. So which undrafted um, cornerback do they have that's playing good? Because their cornerbacks are like all undrafted players. I think it's uh, Brew bro, or Bro. Bro, yeah, it's definitely. Devil Let's go bro. with Bro. It is Delvin Bro, <laughs> I think. Their safeties aren't horrible either. Jerry's. I mean, here's the thing about their defense: it's a bunch of guys. You're like, you look at them and you're like, ah, he's okay, he's okay, he's okay. Like none of them are good. It's not. Who is the guy that's going to step up and? That's the thing. They just have any stars on defense, like. Danelle Ellerby, James Laurinaitis, Kevin Vicari. Journeyman. Kenny a Vicario. lot of solid role players. It's like if these are if these guys are like the seventh best guy in your defense, then you're good. But none of these guys you know, Nick Fairley's like their best defensive player. That's not not great. It's like if you have all these guys and JJ Watt, that's a good defense. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> he, would, he would well they need a cornerback too. Their cornerbacks are are uh, they're all like I said, they're all undrafted guys. So Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see how we attack via the run this week. Uh, we're not going to have uh, uh, Rawls. Bradley Rawls, Soul. thank you. Rawls, <laughs> we're not going to have Bradley Soul. Rawls isn't due back for two, maybe three weeks if they hold him out an extra week. Uh, Christian Michael can run the ball. Are yeah, we going to run the ball? Christian Michael has looked fine. Like, I, yeah, I yeah, he's think great. He's the problem. I think the problem is that a lot of plays are getting kind of blown up before it can even get to the point where Christian Michael can matter. Too much. I also think they're just not committing to the run. Yeah. I think in our games that we've played worst, we haven't committed to the run, which has been a problem. That was a problem last year in the Rams game. That was a problem this year in the Rams game. That was a problem in the Arizona game. And a lot of what we did, too, before, we'd, we'd punish teams with the run and wear them down, right? Like, grate them down until at the end of the game, you're getting eight yards of rush because they're just, the other team's tired. Which it's frustrating because that's what our defense does. We we want you to dink and dunk, and we've hit you so much that in the fourth quarter, when you need to try and stretch the field more, your guys are hurt. You're fearing the hits, and on the offensive side, that's what we did. We just kept pounding you and and, and making you regret it as the game went on. It's Daryl Bevel knows what he's doing, but man, I I don't get it. I mean, I understand why he's doing what he's doing. It's because the uh, the offense is different when Russell Wilson can't run, and he's kind of searching for an offensive identity. And I think he also is worried about having a second running back he can trust. He's got a couple of rookies or CJ Spiller who's new to the system. But I think if there's a game where you're going to pick to trust a running back, it's against the New Orleans defense. Yeah. So I want to see him look at Collins or look at Procise or look at Spiller and give them eight carries. Because if you look at... Kristen Michael, 16 to 20 carries for your lead back is a good number of carries. The problem is you're getting like maybe three carries combined from anyone else. Yeah, like and we should be running the ball like 30 times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you're calling a CG, CJ Spiller revenge game, Kevin? I forgot CJ <laughs> Spiller played for the Saints. Sorry, you don't have to answer that. <laughs> hey, can we get Reggie Bush too, just for this game? No, because they need him because McCoy's out. <laughs> oh. I thought, I thought Reggie Bush had hung it up. Maybe he has. Maybe I mean, he's just playing in Buffalo. He basically has. Yeah. <laughs> he played for San Francisco last year. That's hanging. That's hanging it that's up. Hanging it up. <laughs> All right. Uh, are we ready to move to picks? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't feel like this game is very exciting. No, I, I don't feel like there's. I think it'll be fun to watch, but it'll be fun to watch like when you watch a college team just squash another college team. New Orleans scores points, so I'm going to go 35 20 to 35 to 20 Seahawks. And I think like people are going to be excited, like, oh, the offense played so good. But like I said, don't get fooled by the mirage. Uh, even if the offense looks really good this week, it could still be kind of dire straits for offense. We could still need to, 
you know, put some stuff together. You need to look at a good Russell Wilson game, meaning more mobile Russell Wilson, before we can start to guess that. Do you want to pick or you want me to pick? I'll go with it, I guess. Go for it. I'm going 33-24 Seattle, but I'm looking at probably a garbage time score for New Orleans to bring it up there. I think I think a couple of field goals and some touchdowns. I, I have a question for you after Eric does his pick, so don't let me forget. All right. 28-17 Seattle Seahawks. And then Brett's here with his pick. Uh, I don't know, guys. Uh, 41 to 0 Seahawks. All right. So, uh, I have a question for you guys. What do you think the Seahawks identity is if it's not Russell Wilson running slash throwing quarterback? Cause I think that right now what we're seeing with the offense is they're struggling to find an identity. Do you think that this quick pass offense is the, is the right identity or what do you, what would you like to see the Seahawks new identity be? Ugh. What do you think it is, or what do we want it well, to well, be? Right now, it is quick pass bonanza. Yeah, what, I mean, what, what do you think it should be? I think it should be. This is this is going deep, and it's not entirely accurate. So don't laugh at what I'm saying because we're better than this team. But I think it should be like the Denver Broncos team when Tim Tebow was the quarterback. Remember how it was just run almost every play? I don't mean it quite like that. That's why I said it's it's kind of a joke. But we should be a thirty rushing attempts per game team. I'm running a little differently, but you're in the right division. Who perfectly personifies Russell Wilson without mobility or as much mobility? That would be Alex Smith. Oh, I think a Kansas city style high efficiency offense is something that Seattle has the personnel to run. We have a very similar offensive players. I mean, we have the big tight end. Yep, like Macklin and, I think Macklin and Baldwin is a really yes. good comparison too. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't mind. I don't mind that at all. I would like to see us. I would like to see us get to a more style that I would call creative Smash Mouth, <laughs> exotic Smash Mouth, <laughs> exotic. I'm just kidding. Uh, I, although I do think that that might be the most fitting fitting style for us right now is that to just kind of be a smash mouth team and push the push the ball down people's throats and try to run a bunch of times and then setting up play action passes that you can go downfield with yeah but like 2012 offense well so it happens you know you never know maybe maybe russell now he trusts his knee and i don't know if you heard this but 10 minutes ago russell wilson put on instagram he's having a baby so you know what maybe maybe we get Maybe he puts a senior. Oh, on the I was about back to say maybe he puts that senior on the back of that whoa, jersey. He's a changed man. <laughs> That's that could happen. That would that would be ridiculous. By yeah. the way, uh, Kevin Durant's debut: Spurs 108, Warriors 82. That's right. I hate everyone who likes the Warriors. <laughs> but they, but Nathan, they have a great. Color and I scheme. love the Spurs. Wrong Actually, sport. Moving on. It is. It is known. <laughs> You're about to lose me to Spurs basketball, guys. Just want you to know that. Yeah, we we saw that coming. Kawhi Leonard. Uh, we are about Actually, to go. They're in. saying there's a stadium deal for the Sonics. Yeah, that's a rumor going around. This is... uh, they're going to go full private funding. Yeah, that's that's the way to do it. Hey, well, how that... do we how do we get the stadium? Go full private with funding. NBA with NBA TV dollars. They're going to make they would make crazy money off of that. Yeah, if they could if they could get all the rights and keep all the money for everything. It will be like Kansas City, and we'll just have a giant uh, arena with no tenants. Yeah. It, it could be cool. <laughs> all right, hey, before we uh, go into movie club and more basketball talk. Uh, do you want to you want to pump the numbers? You want to say any more Seahawks? Uh, we have we have all our our Seahawk fans that are quickly. I think we need to do our them. advertising. You know what I talk about? I want to talk about how you can support this podcast. Okay, you want to you want to support the podcast? Well, you could the what, the first thing you could do is you go around and give us like five stars on iTunes, go on SoundCloud and like every single podcast we've ever made. <laughs> um, go do stuff like that. That stuff follow helps. us on SoundCloud if, if you. Uh, that stuff helps. If you are someone who does not have any money, that is the most helpful thing. But if you're someone who makes that Skrilla, you got them dollar dollar bills, y'all. Even a you single head, dollar bill. You can head to Patreon and support our podcast. Patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest. There's many different levels. And I want to talk about this for a sec. Someone asked me, hey, I want to be on the podcast. I want to donate the $31 level. Do I have to do it every month? No. Donate to the $31 level for one month and then go down to some lower level because I know you want to see my exclusive Patreon-only YouTube videos. And then, uh, yeah, do that. And then, you know, you'll get to be on the podcast once. We'll have you on. We'll talk to you about a movie or 
the coming up matchup, your choice. I would figure everyone would just want to talk about a movie because, I mean, that's the, fu- <laughs> that's the part you don't have to do any research for, right? You don't have to look smart. You could just talk about a movie. But, you know, whatever. Your life. Do what you want. And then, um, yeah, so if you want one of those higher reward levels but you're like, I don't want to give you $25 a month, I agree. Don't. Just give us $25 once and then go down to the $1.24 level. Look at that. Helping people out. That's good. Yeah, or or good the Russell you. Wilson level. Oh, yeah, the Russell Wilson level where you get to have an exclusive post-game chat with Brett. No one's done it yet, but I've been talking to Brett after the games, and it's a meltdown. You will enjoy this. Yeah, uh, you, this was the game to do it because the <laughs> meltdown started in the third quarter, oh, and man. it just built. It I, just, I will say this. I did. I saw Jake today at the gym, Okay, and we're talking. He's like, hey, are you going to uh, you going to the, the game at Nate's against the Packers? I'm like, oh, yeah, the uh, the football, the fantasy league game. Yeah, I'll go to that. He's like, oh, that's going to be fun. I'm like, yeah. Actually, uh, you are going to get to see Brett have a full mount meltdown. Yeah. Like, yeah. And he's like, he's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, it's just, at some, at some point, point during the game, we're going to always, it's going to be like the second quarter and we're going to be tied. It's kind of what I love about Brett though, is he's so passionate oh, about yeah. the team. Screaming from the kitchen. It's good. He just, he gets to get all his emotions into the game, which I love. Because <laughs> I watch it like a robot, because I can't handle it. If I don't watch it like a robot, I like I'll become Brett. So I like don't want to do that. So I just like I watch it and I just don't. You, if anyone's watching anything, you know this. I just like don't say anything. That's I, I've never watched I a game with you. I don't react. I don't react strongly. I'm just like a robot. I'm like okay. I'm just like holding my. And then when the game's over, I just do one of those like Tiger Woods fist pumps. You know, I'm just like yes, we did it, guys. We did it. <laughs> I uh, I'm basically the Joker during the game. Like I'm a regular guy, and then I start to get angry, and then at the end, I'm just laughing maniacally, either because we won or it's a tie. Uh, that's will... that's it. Hi, I'm the Twitter voice of the Seahawks Nest. You know what I'm like during a game. Oh yes, yeah. <laughs> except, for, except for the the photoshops and like one joke a game. I come in there with the with the photoshops. I'm sorry again, Bradley. Uh, I love you. I was just trying to make a funny, and I did not realize that it would have such karmic power. That being said, what we did to you is no worse than what you've done to us for the last <laughs> seven weeks. Kevin, Kevin Garber, unapologetic. Hey, Bradley Saul, if you want to come on this podcast and talk to us, you can talk mad shit to Kevin. And I'll make sure <laughs> I'm okay with in that. your injured state that just Kevin does sure not that, kick you. Just make sure that you uh, sign up for Patreon if you want to have a talking segment <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> yes, seriously. You, I, you may or may not be able to afford it, Bradley, so do it. Yeah, oh. I definitely can. All right, uh, so we got... Uh, Seahawks Nest Movie Club, right? That's, That's it. That's our final Halloween movie club. Not our final. Yeah, man. Next week is gonna be. Uh, it's gonna be November first. Halloween. That's fine. I mean, are we talking about next year? No, next week we could we could do one I'm more. I'm not doing it. That's the last one. Oh. Nathan's going right into Christmas. Right. Going straight. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you want to do Die Hard six times in a row. Yes, Thanksgiving uh, so, movies. So, so uh, I thought, why not do the movie? That Rolling Stone says is the number one horror movie to come out since the year 2000. And this is a movie that I love. And it is the movie that restarted zombies for everyone. So apologies in advance for all the bad zombie stuff that happened. Like last week's episode of The Walking Dead. But this is 28 Days Later. Knew it. I knew it. And uh, it's like a... It's, I would, and I, I kind of gave you guys a hint that this might be coming because I did send out the feelers a couple weeks ago. I was like, everyone seen this movie? And then I didn't talk about it. So I... I tried to like, you know, throw you off the scent, but it's, it's just a, it's like the most solid zombie movie in a long time. And that's, I think, why everyone was like, oh, we'll try to make a zombie movie too, like right after it. The movie I compare it to is the original Dawn of the Dead. Oh, that's very good. I think that the comp is there in that it's a movie that really pushes the character. You take, you're taking a journey with the characters. And then you're watching horrible, horrible things happen to them. And you feel really bad about it because you've taken this long journey through so much with them and you grow to like them so much. I think it does a great job of that. And I think so we had this conversation earlier today. I really started uh, turning off the horror genre in the late 90s going into the 2000s because the things that were really being put out there were mostly Jump scares and the types of movies I don't enjoy. Twenty eight uh, days I like later, to call it gore pornography. Yes, where yeah, like torture Hostel porn is a good example of that. Yeah, Final Destination. Anything after the first one, <laughs> Final Destination. Don't you mean Rube Goldberg kills? Yes, <laughs> and my favorite joke. <laughs> and this was a movie that I I surfaced for air in the genre to see just because of the way it was made. This was a very well crafted movie that. 
this is the type of movie that will stand the test of time. Yeah, and the, I mean, eight million dollar budget. Danny Boyle is an awesome director. Like that, it has all of the the elements. And the thing that the thing that makes horror good is that the a good is the director. You know, it's not the writing, and it the acting can kill it, but the acting doesn't have to be awesome. Although it is in this movie, yeah, uh, yeah. Killian Murphy's really good in this movie and stuff. But that's so good. The Walking Dead awesome. straight it's, up stole the intro. It's the it's the way that the director frames up the shots and like does this stuff. And when you see you know a dude walking in a hospital gown in like a ruined city, like from a long view, like they do in the beginning of this movie, like that is a is a very memorable shot. You know, you remember that, and you're like, "Wow, that's that's really crazy." Yeah, when they filmed that, they actually they were they didn't get permits to shut down parts of London, so they just had to use camera tricks. They were they were able to shut down like one lane on a bridge, and put Killian Murphy in his nightgown or in his hospital gown. Um, like you said, this has great acting in it. If you've never seen this movie, but you like The Walking Dead you will be surprised to see how much imagery is taken from 28 Days Later. Loads. Yeah, Kurt Season Loads. one of The Walking Dead is a giant homage. Yeah, they, they, were, they definitely were influenced by this movie big time. And I will, I will say the only thing that is really different about the zombies uh, is they're, they're not quite dead, right? They're just uh, basically humans with rabies. Yes. Similarly, yeah. Similarly, like, and this was also the, one of the first movies that really did the fast zombies. I was gonna say that's the big thing is these are these are zombies who it doesn't matter if they've done track. And they're not really they go. zombies. They're like rabies infected. Yeah, exactly. Like they don't. You can kill them easier, and also like they die of starvation at the end of the at the end of the movie. Like they showed some of them like dying of starvation. So. It's the rage virus. Yes, it's a very... Which is really cheesy, but like perfectly cheesy. The message of this movie is do not experiment on animals. It's not nice. <laughs> Take that, Maybelline. downfall of humanity. Take that, Maybelline. Yeah, and also this has, a, uh, I believe, three or four different endings. Three endings that I know of. Yeah, there's a ton yeah. of alternate endings for this movie. The one that Boyle wanted to do was Killian Murphy dies at the end. Oh, uh, so they go to the hospital, he dies, and then Selena and Hannah... They leave the hospital fully armed, and they—they. They, I'm reading. I read about this earlier on Wikipedia, but I brought it back up to make sure I got it right. But they said this was the ending we wanted. But test audiences said this is too depressing. These women are certainly going to die, which is not how Boyle felt about it. But it's if that's what people were getting from it, it was not the message he wanted to send. So that's why he had to change the ending. And I like the ending that they went with. Yes, where they unfurl the banner and uh, it says hello on it. You know, <laughs> so yeah. they're like looking for other. This uh, is uh, also. A lot of horror or dark movies go into this theme, and that's the idea of, you know, there are monsters in this world, but human beings are the real monsters. And, you know, you get that with the armed forces, and you also get that a little from Killian Murphy as he exacts his revenge on the uh, the people that left him for dead. Yeah. And that that is my favorite part in that movie, as well as my favorite part of any 2000 horror movie. A revenge movie wrapped in a horror movie? Just that scene where he he attacks a, a an armed forces man. You you think that he might be one of the zombie, one of the infected, but it's it's shot so beautifully, and then it gets so graphic. That's I think what is that? Maybe the most graphic scene in the movie, and well, it's it's so brutal. But it was it had me cheering because I kind of like uh, really bad things happening to bad people. It's like a two hour movie, right? A little over two hours, between two and two and a half. It had, a, it had a really solidly long runtime. No, it was 113 minutes. It's actually really? brisk. It just feels long because they, they do a lot. There's so, so many much things. Stuff happens. Yeah. That's what I was going to say is this movie, there's so many segments and the segments all have such a feel when they're in the town and they're in the subway station and they're trying to survive Ooh, there. the subway station. And when they get back out and the Christmas lights and the grocery store and... Then when they're when on they the road, Frank, they find Frank and Hannah. Yeah, yeah. just there's so many scenes of the, and they do a great job of giving them each their own feel. But it's like a patchwork quilt where it each has its own design, but they flow in harmony together throughout well, the movie. Good and call, it shows Hannah. like, and it alternates too between like what would actually happen in a post-apocalyptic situation like this, where it flows between moments of extreme hope and moments of extreme despair. Right, like you're 
you meet these people with the Christmas lights and you're like really hopeful that things will be good. And then you go to these soldiers and it's like gang rape central. And there's like this extreme despair, like, oh man, this is not good. Like, you know, and you, you get to see like both like the hopeful side, like the way humanity could band together. And then also like the horrible side, the way that humanity could like rip itself apart. Yeah. And I think that that like dichotomy is like the best part about this movie. Yeah, really yeah. well said. Excellent movie. Excellent uh, not to be confused with Twenty Eight Days, starring Sandra Bullock. Do not do not mix up the two when you decide to rent this movie. If you if you want to, you will be very disappointed. And also, uh, I don't know about your feeling, gentlemen, but the sequel didn't do it for me. Nowhere near the same way. Oh, I was gonna go the other way with this one. I really liked the sequel, and I thought Rose Byrne was awesome in the sequel. And like, I, it's kind of, it's different. The movie is different. It's very different. Um, but I thought that was good and, uh, not great, but good. You know, I so, thought I thought I it love, was. A... I love all Jeremy Renner and Idris Elba, and there's like, oh, good, Boos. really there's good, cast. so many good actors in this movie. So like, I don't know. That's kind of what I like about it. Before they got all popular too. Idris I, I think so it was good. solid. I'm I'm actually between you guys. I thought it was solid, but I'm happy with the first movie just being a first movie. But when a movie with a really small budget, you know, really, really, really outperforms, you're gonna have a sequel. I yeah. do like that. Twenty Eight Weeks Later is not like a super direct sequel. Like I think that, you know what I mean? Like I would I would I, I agree. I would have hated it if it was just like, and we're back, and it's Twenty Eight Weeks Later, and we're in this house, and there's three more people. You know, I would have been like, oh my god, yeah, like it would it would have really irritated me. I agree, but I agree almost to the extent where I kind of wish it was even more of a standalone movie. I feel like the tie-ins are part of what made the movie less enjoyable for me. I thought there were a lot of things to enjoy about that movie, but it definitely put it more in like you didn't a like six the callbacks instead of a seven and a half. See, I would rate both movies higher than that. I don't know. I just think that direction- well, no, I mean, it w- the sequel would have been like a seven, seven and a half. I oh. feel like the first one was firmly in that eight to nine category. Yeah. It's one of my the, more favorite horror movies. The direction in these movies is what makes them good. I think like. Danny Boyle knows. Danny Boyle knows how to frame up a really good shot. And Boyle did the sequel. And no, he was. I think he produced nah. it. So I mean, that's probably why Twenty Eight Weeks Later isn't maybe as good. Is that in fact this is the last movie this guy directed? Was this movie Juan Carlos Fresnadillo? I don't. I don't know anything about this guy to be honest with you, except for he's from Spain. I will say that picture of him may just be someone's dad that they <laughs> uploaded to Wikipedia. I mean, four people wrote the script. Uh yeah, so I don't know that maybe maybe that's where some of the problems we have with the movie is, uh. But yeah, I find it enjoyable. Not great, not as good as Twenty Eight Days Later. Twenty Eight Days Later, way better. Uh, Danny Boyle is working on Slumdog Millionaire, which probably was a good choice because you know he won an Oscar for it. So <laughs> yeah, that, that's probably a good call to go in that direction. Like, hey, let's make a Best Picture. You know, that's good. Good job by you. I would say as a classic horror fan, which I consider myself to be. I think this is a movie that really bridges the gap between classic horror and modern horror very well. It bridges it between uh, something like Tourist Trap and The Walking Dead. No? Okay, I have a question for you guys. It's Danny Boyle related. Okay, and I don't know, maybe I, maybe I don't know how ready you are for this, but he's got two movies in the works, and I wanted to ask you what you thought of these two movies, okay? Because they're way different also. Okay, we got Train Spotting 2. Oh, which my. is based on the sequel. Everybody watched the sequel to the book called Porno. Uh, which that movie came out in like 92? Uh, so 96. And okay. the movie takes place nine years after the original. So, I mean. Which is still 10 years ago. It's so, so that would be 96 plus that. nine. That's like 11 years too late. But what do you got? Would you want to see a train spotting too? Is Ewan McGregor going to be in it? Yes. Oh, so he's going to redeem himself from the Star Wars movies, maybe. I want to hold off. I want to talk about the other movie because I feel like I can only pick one. Do I want a train spotting two? No, I don't. <laughs> that, that movie is, is shot really well and it's interesting, but it's still drug use. It's still not. Yay. You know, it's, it's a, it's a black comedy. That yes. is a movie that was in its time. I'm who's clamoring for a sequel to that. But that being said, it's all, I won't write it off. Like I will definitely pay attention to the fact that it's coming. But it's not one where I'm like, all right, Fandango, bookmark, let's go. 
Yeah, it's like, no I, accounting. Transpotting is a movie that depresses <laughs> me, so I, yeah. I mean, like, I just don't want. I don't know. I, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Maybe, maybe it'll be really good. I if have, it is any good at all, look for the awards to be coming big time. Yeah, it comes out January twenty seventh. Uh, so be on the lookout for that one. The other one is a uh, in production. It's called Battle of the Sexes. It's an American sports comedy, and it stars Emma Stone as Billie Jean King. And I think it's going to be about oh. uh, the boy oh. man, man versus with Macworld, Bobby Riggs and uh, yeah. Bobby Riggs, Billie yeah. Jean King played tennis. Emma Stone, uh, huh? Who's Steve playing? Carell is playing Bobby Riggs. Oh, and it's, is it is it a <laughs> oh, fact based no. film or is it going to be Sarah, Sarah Silverman's in the movie? So it's not. I don't know. Is it going to be a fact based film? Uh, Are I, you sure this isn't Judd Apatow? Okay, it says. It was released that... Is his, uh, are his kids in it? Danny That's... Boyle's the producer. He's not the director. Just start that. But uh, they're setting a tennis drama-based film based on the title Battle of the Sexes. Emma Stone was cast to play Billie Jean King while Steve Carell was passed to Big Waters. Danny Boyle was producing the film. Uh, Brie Larson was added to the cast for the Billie Jean King, but she left, and Emma, Emma Stone came back. <laughs> wow. I mean, this it's had a kind of a trial, but it started filming April 13th, 2016. So it's it's happening. I'm uh, gonna say sign me up for train. Would, would you want to see a comedy a comedy film based on this? These are not the types of films I normally like, so yeah. I don't know. If I heard that it was good, I'd watch it. If if this is I would not actively resist if someone took me to the movie. That's I mean that's good I mean, enough, yeah. I hate this kind of stuff where you know the ending. Does that make sense? Like I know Steve As Cur- this type of movie, yes. I know Steve Carell's gonna lose at the end. Yeah, well, that's if they're smart, they will, that won't be the ending of the movie, and they'll find a way to do it. I don't know. I want to know if this is. It said a drama, so it sounds like it's going to be fact based, like a dramedy. Yeah, I don't really know if. Oh wow, Emma Stone looks pretty good in that. Yeah, this is not a comedy. This is a fact based movie. Um, it's interesting. Maybe like cool it runnings. says biography, comedy, sport. Those are the three categories. It is. Maybe it'll be like the cool runnings of tennis. That's it's what we've always needed. You know, Kingpin, best bowling movie, Major League. Uh, there's so many great baseball movies, no good football movies. This will be the tennis movie. You're going with Necessary Roughness with this, Scott Bakula? This will, be, <laughs> this will be the tennis movie. That's all I'm going to say. How dare you, Kevin? But, well, wouldn't that movie have been way better if um, Al would have shown up in the middle of the football yes, game? absolutely. <laughs> so this reminds me of my all-time favorite uh uh, like male versus female tennis thing, which is Jesus. That. How many male versus female tennis things do you have to have an all time favorite? No, 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 okay, because there's like ten different matches, but this story just cracks me up. Uh, so during the 1998 Australian Open, Serena Venus Williams boasted they could be any man ranked outside the top 200. So this German player named Karsten Brash, who was ranked 203, was like, "Yeah, I'll play him." Before the match, he he played around a golf. Drank a couple beers, smoked, and he smoked cigarettes between the sets. He beat Serena 6-1 and Venus 6-2. Oh, oh no. that's not the ending I wanted. That's so rude. <laughs> that I was, was so I German. was like, oh. And so, Serena said, I didn't know it would be that hard. I hit shots that would have been winners on the women's tour, and he got to them easily. That's so, harsh. That's 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 not the ending I wanted. I'm oh. just gonna say, that'd have been like uh, that'd been like if you said the MVP of the WNBA challenged any. Um, male basketball player to a one-on-one, and like some six-six guy took the challenge and just blocked all of her shots yeah. by just standing there. I yeah. like I watched were, like, the U.S. Open depressing at the time, so like I mean it's but I mean 18s like there's a lot of good tennis players who are 18, so I'm not sure. 18 if that to 22 is kind of tennis peak. I I'm a I'm a guy who watches the U.S. Open uh, male and female every year. That's the only tennis I watch. I do get into that sometimes depending on the matchup. Uh, this year's U.S. Open not not great. Last year's was pretty dope. That really depressed me. <laughs> Sorry, that's all right. I just that's I was like, yeah, Serena really took it. To, no, she. <laughs> that sucks. All right, all right. Uh, on that note, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I just had to bring it up because we no, were it's interesting. About it's the sexist tennis match, and there there was supposed to be Andy Murray was supposed to play Serena Williams in 2013, but it just never happened. I was like kind of excited about it. I wonder. I wonder. Andy why. Murray would have just. I I don't want to say he would have just crushed her, but I mean, it's just it is just the way it is. Uh, but I mean, they, if you look at the speed on the speed of the serves is like just that. insane. Like that's that's kind of I think the biggest difference. I think if it was like doubles or like they played on the doubles court or something, just anything to make uh, the speed matter less, you know, then maybe they could 
even it up. Tennis it's like when are... Jenny Finch was pitching to uh, was pitching to all those major league hitters, and it's like when you look at a fast pitch throw, trying to track the ball off of there, they had no chance. Yeah, and she just smoked them, yeah, she... and it, it was like, like, yeah, of course. You, 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 you have. To... What was it? David Ortiz made light contact. Barry and Bonds just got a piece. Cheering. Barry Bonds got a piece. Okay, I yeah. remember that. Yeah, it's, that's funny. Yeah, Jenny Finch ruled. She was good. Yeah. Man, man, U.S. softball used to be awesome. All right. Okay. Anyway, uh, we got uh, plugs. You want to plug some social media, Kevin? Yeah. Talk to us on Twitter. Uh, like us on Facebook and follow us on SoundCloud. We are Seahawks Nest on all of those things. On Reddit. Don't forget, tune in, Stitcher, Reddit, uh, iTunes. Yeah. iTunes, iTunes, iTunes. Help build the community. Reddit r slash Seahawks. We do respond to everything we get this year because we're better. For executive producer, Brad Hancock. For Kevin Garber. For Nathan Santo. I'm Eric Ronnebeck. Go Hawks. Hi, guys. Do you want to hear a weird fact that I don't feel like fit anywhere in the podcast? There used to be three flavors of Three Musketeers. Chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. I actually knew that. I want strawberry so bad. This is the best way to end the podcast. I want strawberry. I want some strawberry nougat. Strawberry at a... 